scripture reading this evening is taken from the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah, chapter 3. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and then Jonah. Jonah, chapter 3, right in the middle of the book is where we have the text for the sermon, verses 1 through 4. And at this point of Jonah, Jonah had been swallowed up by a great fish and had been, as we see in the very last verse of chapter 2, the Lord spake to the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. So Jonah is back out in dry land. The text for the sermon is verses 1 through 4. We read the entire chapter, Jonah chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried, saying, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For, for, for word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. So far we read once again the verses 1 and 4 on which the sermon is based. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. The focus is on those two verses. And verse 3, so Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey, and Jonah began to enter into that city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Beloved congregation, when we arrive at chapter 3 in the book of Jonah, we really arrive at the climax of the book. And that's because it's here in chapter 3 that Jonah, that runaway prophet, right children, you know the story of Jonah, don't you? That runaway prophet 
is recovered and as well restored by God's amazing, miraculous hand. Jonah had run away from the Lord in chapter 1. He had refused to obey God. God had told him to bring the word to Nineveh, go to Nineveh and bring the word there. And what did he do? He went in the opposite direction towards Tarshish, boarding a ship filled with pagan sailors, going the exact opposite direction from where he was commanded to go by the Lord. But now, here in chapter 3, Jonah had repented of his sin, and he was thankful for God's recovery of him when he was finally vomited out of that great fish onto dry land after three days and three nights. And it is here, at this point in the history of Jonah's life, where we might have expected God, after having worked repentance in Jonah, would now have said to Jonah, you may go home. You're free to go home now, and then we would expect God to have some other prophet called and then commissioned to bring the word to Nineveh. But by the amazing grace of God, we read in our text that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And by that, we see that God had restored Jonah back to the office and recommissioned him to bring the word, his word, to Nineveh a second time. Let us tonight consider God's amazing grace to Jonah. And as we do so, treating and explaining the word of God, let us also learn the precious and significant lessons that God has stored up for us in His precious Word. Notice with me God's Word coming to Jonah a second time. The gracious fact, the significant Word, and lastly, the trusting obedience. The second time. God Himself and His Word coming to Jonah the second time. Beloved congregation, do we realize the wonder, the amazing wonder of grace that stands behind that declaration? The fact that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. What an amazing, gracious fact that is. Certainly it was a gracious fact for Jonah, Jonah would have told us that. For let us recall briefly, ever so briefly, what Jonah had done in the earlier chapters 1 and 2. When the word of the Lord had come to Jonah the first time, calling on Jonah to arise and to go to Nineveh to cry against it, what did Jonah do? Children, what did Jonah do? He did the exact opposite. Instead of going to Nineveh, he turned about face 180 degrees and went in the opposite direction. Instead of going to Nineveh, he headed towards Tarshish. 
Doing so, the Word of God tells us that he ran away. He fled from the presence of the Lord. At least he tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. But he failed. The Lord went out on an all-out pursuit of his rebellious servant, his wayward child and rebellious servant. The Lord sent out a great wonder of a storm into the sea, the sea where was that ship in which Jonah was on, traveling on, the great storm and tempest went against that ship. And then the Lord sovereignly worked it out so that the casting of the lots on board that ship exposed Jonah as the cause of the trouble that these pagan sailors were experiencing on the sea. And then the Lord used those pagan sailors to rebuke Jonah. He didn't need a prophet. He used those pagan sailors to rebuke him. And then as the storm got stronger and Jonah getting deeper into his sadness, Jonah told the sailors to throw him overboard. Now, despite the sailors' valiant attempts to try to bring the ship to land, they were not successful. And they were not successful because the storm got greater and greater and stronger and stronger. And so, in the end, Jonah was thrown into the sea. But the Lord intervened. The Lord intervened yet again, miraculously preparing a great fish to swallow Jonah up in safety. And then Jonah prayed that amazing prayer of repentance in the belly of that great fish, recorded in chapter 2. And then having spent three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish, that fish spat Jonah out in safety upon dry land. Well, the plain and simple fact from all that has taken place thus far is that Jonah had disqualified himself from the office. In the language of our church order today, gross public sin worthy of deposition had been committed by Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and he, he disobeyed. He disobeyed in defiance and we would say grand and even great defiance going in exactly the opposite direction where he had been co commissioned to go to. We would say to Jonah, if we had Jonah right before us today, we would say to Jonah, wouldn't we? You blew it. You blew it, Jonah. You blew it big time. By your open and defiant sin, by your clear refusal to obey the Lord, you have disqualified yourself from the office. And so, when God had amazingly worked repentance in the heart of Jonah, 
working that while he was in the belly of the fish, when God had done that, we might have expected God to say to Jonah, well now, my son, you are free to go. Go and sin no more. And then Jonah, we would have expected, would be ready to take up a new vocation in that state of forgiveness. And that, you understand, would have been gracious, certainly is, sufficiently gracious. The knowledge of the forgiveness of sins was once more real and living in the heart and mind of Jonah, repentant Jonah. He was now ready and renewed to live once more a new and godly life in a different and new vocation. But, beloved, that's not what the Lord did. The Lord did much more than that. God always has His way with us, as He did here with Jonah. And amazingly, by His amazing grace, God restored Jonah to the office and recommissioned him to the task of bringing the word to Nineveh yet again. Now, to get an idea of the wonder of grace and the greatness of God's amazing grace to Jonah here in restoring Jonah to office and then recommissioning him to do the work he failed in, we ask the question before the face of God and in His holy sanctuary this evening, what would we have done? To help us along now, suppose just for a moment, suppose that you are a boss, you are an employer, and you had given a most important assignment and job to an employee of yours. You've trained that man for years to do the work, and he has been doing rather well. He has been doing well consistently all through those years. And then now comes this hugely important job that comes to you, and you, by your good judgment, you think, assign that piece of work to him. But he blew the assignment you gave him. He never got started on that work. In fact, he, he took all the money you gave him to buy all the materials needed to work on that job and he squandered all that money away. It's all gone. Your customer is angry. He's so very angry. And besides, there are many other repercussions for what has taken place. There's a loss of reputation for your business. There's a loss of trust for that business. And so on. 
and it's not just your business that suffers, that you've, you've worked so hard to establish, not just your business and the reputation of that business that has suffered, you, you yourself, have been hurt, greatly hurt. You have invested your time, your energy, your efforts upon that once highly trusted employee whom you hired and whom you had appointed to get that job done. But then now, this employee of yours, this man, comes knocking on your door. He returns to you, he comes knocking on your door and he is sobbing, he's crying, he's sorry. Through the tears, he says, I'm so sorry for what I did. He's genuine. At least certainly you have determined that he is sincerely sorry for what he did. And so, after some deep, deep struggles within you, you do forgive him, you do forgive him for what he has done, but now, the job that you had assigned to him previously, that he failed to do, still remains. Would you rehire him? And if you were to rehire him, would you reassign him for the second time to do that same piece of important work he had failed to get to? So now having gone through the thought process there, we ask ourselves now in the situation of Jonah, would we have Jonah reinstalled to the office and would we have Jonah sent to Nineveh to bring the word there? Would we? I doubt it. The better part of wisdom, at least wisdom from our point of view, would tell us we better not do so. But God, God, by the sheer wonder of grace, this God of all grace did that with Jonah. Positively, God came to Jonah with his word the second time. And by that very first word he spoke the second time to Jonah, arise, had reinstated Jonah back to his office. And then God recommissioned Jonah, recalled him to the task of going to Nineveh to preach the word to that wicked city, that great city of wicked inhabitants. God gave Jonah, we might say in our own human terms, a second chance. Amazing. 
amazing wonder of grace that God displayed to Jonah, his runaway prophet, an errant child. But we ask ourselves, was this a one-off type of thing with God? Was it a one-off type of thing, you see, this amazing display of grace by God? Was it? The answer is no. If it were, none of us, I say, absolutely none of us would be here seated in this sanctuary this evening, praising God, delighting in Him, desirous to please Him, to order your life centered around Him, to glorify Him. Your office bearers also wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here too. And that's because we're all sinners, saved by His grace. Amazing grace. But let us be sure and let us be convinced that the answer is indeed no. From the Bible, see and see for ourselves the way that God Himself does give a second chance, so to speak, to many others besides Jonah. This is an abiding principle with the God of all grace, that He is gracious towards us, His sinful children. Certainly there was a second time for Abraham and Moses in the Old Testament, important leaders of the Old Testament church. Let's start with Abraham. The word of the Lord had come to Abraham when he and his family worshipped idols, living in Mesopotamia, in the Ur of Chaldees. And we find that recorded in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. Those verses read, And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Charan, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. And so from these verses, we see that God had commanded his servant Abraham to leave Mesopotamia. To leave Mesopotamia and go all the way to Canaan. But Abraham didn't do that immediately and all at once, did he? We are told very plainly in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, that he stopped. More than that, he stopped and dwelt. Not at Canaan, but at a place called Charan. Still a couple hundred miles away from that final destination. He stopped there and dwelt there halfway through the task that God had appointed him. Abraham tarried several hundred miles away from Canaan. He stopped there, Karan, and might have carried on there, staying there for good, had it not been for the word of the Lord coming to Abraham the second time. 
as we find it recorded in Genesis chapter 12. Get thee out of thy country from thy kindred and from thy father's house and unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. That's Abraham. The same could be said though of Moses too. Yet another very important leader in the Old Testament church. Of Moses, we read in the same speech of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, towards more of the middle of the chapter in verse 25, that when Moses killed the Egyptian boys and girls, do you remember that story? When Moses killed the Egyptian, he did so supposing that his own people would recognize and realize that through that act that he was God's appointed deliverer and leader to lead them out of Egypt. He supposed so. Well, there was Moses supposing so. There was Moses' way of delivering God's people. Trouble is that that's not God's way of delivering his people. And Moses found that out when he had to flee from Egypt to Midian and be there for 40 years. 40 long years. And certainly we might have said that Moses blew it. Moses also blew it big time by not delivering God's people God's way in His good time. We might have said that but the word of the Lord came to Moses the second time. The second time when God appeared to Moses in a burning bush and said to Moses, as recorded in our Bibles in Exodus 3 verse 10, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people the children of Israel out of Egypt. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we find that to be the case with Peter too. Peter had boasted, hadn't he, that he was different from, he was better than the other disciples, that he would not forsake the Lord no matter what. He'll stand with Jesus. And then Jesus said that Peter would deny him three times before morning. And Peter did exactly just that. He denied his Lord three times. So what should be done to Peter now? Should he be cast off? Should he be done with the office for good? Or what did Jesus do? The Lord himself appeared to Peter and reinstates him to his office and recommissions him to the work of the office 
of feeding the flock of God. Notice the pastoral manner in which Jesus did that as recorded in John chapter 21, corresponding to that that threefold denial of him. He turns to Peter in a threefold manner and asks Peter, Do you love me? And by the time we get to the third, do you love me? It's a different word for love. Do you even love me with a love as a friend? Do you even love me with that kind of love? Or if you do, Peter, feed my sheep. I know different words were used, but that's the essential idea in all three answers, feed my sheep. That's how you show your love for me. The word of the Lord had come also to Peter the second time in that pastoral threefold manner. And that's how God is amazingly gracious to all His servants, to us as well too, is He not? Does not the Lord in the way of repentance and restoration give to us also a second chance, so to speak? Does not the word of the Lord come to us the second time in the way of our repentance and restoration? The Lord and His precious word comes to us a second time Yea, indeed, to all his weak, sinful children. True children, certainly so, but weak and sinful children. For have we never at all stopped halfway at our own parents and not gone the full way as Abraham did? Have we not in our service of the Lord taken things and matters into our own hands and done things our way? Have we not done that? And have we not in our own way, perhaps not as blatantly and publicly, perhaps as Peter, have we not also denied our Lord in our own way? when we were called as the only Christian in that situation to stand up for the Lord, for His name, for His cause. And we stayed silent and refused to say a thing. Of course we have. We all have. We all have sinned and failed the Lord in one way or another, have we not? That's true of us all, the servants and children of the Lord, whether we be called as office bearers of the church of Jesus Christ, representing Christ. Who are we to represent Christ? Or else called as parents to train and to nurture and admonish our Young covenant children, in the fear of the Lord, to the utmost of our power, we say, as we vow, but the utmost of our power isn't much, is it? 
we know that, don't we? We failed also to, as Christians, to bear witness, to let our light so shine in the midst of a dark and sinful world when especially we were put on the spot and we were called to say something and we knew that in our own heart of hearts. But you see, the Lord doesn't cast us off. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't need us, but He's pleased to restore us and recall us to do the work, the work which we had failed to do the first time. Yes, it is true. It is true as he made Jonah learn and learn the hard way, the hard way of being caught in a great storm and tossed into the sea and of drowning and then being swallowed up in the great fish and then praying a prayer of repentance in the depths of the belly of the fish. So also, he sometimes also makes us learn the hard way when we are stubborn, when we refuse to confess our wrongs right away. He's patient. He pursues us, just as he pursues Jonah. Perhaps not in as dramatic a way as we find it recorded in Jonah with Jonah, but he pursues us. And yet he doesn't fail to get our attention. And then he restores us by His great grace, love, and mercy. We're all sinners. We've all failed one way or another. And sometimes we feel that our sins are so large, they they can't be overcome. But know this. Know that the grace of God is larger. And the heart of God God, our Father, is larger, way larger than all of our sins and the guilt we feel from all those sins, all those sins, all those failures, all our weaknesses. The Word of the Lord comes to us the second time in the way of repentance and restoration. And understand that here that without being flippant and irresponsible, and I'm not here, you understand, teaching you to sin that grace may abound. But I'll say this next. Isn't it true that the word of the Lord comes to us not only the second time, but also the third time? The fourth. The fifth, the sixth. You get the idea, don't you? The word of the Lord comes to us as often and as frequent as is necessary for us. Amazing grace. God of all grace. 
None of us would be here where we're at today if not for that grace, that amazingly gracious fact that the Lord works repentance in us and then the word of the Lord comes back to us again, comes back and bids us to do the work again the right way with renewed zeal and determination. Down in the depths as Jonah was and as we can be and have been, and what does the Lord do? Does He let us continue to sink in our sorrows? Certainly not. He lifts us up. He holds our hand and He lifts us up. As our Heavenly Father lifting up his weak, sinful child, just as he did with Jonah. Oh, the wonder of grace, beloved, the amazing wonder of grace. God's word came to Jonah the second time. And it was a significant word, and significant in two aspects. How so? Well, first, and in essence, in essence, we note that it is the same word as the first word. Same in essence. Well, God's word the second time as it did the first time called Jonah to arise and to go and bring God's message to the city of Nineveh. Arise, go, bring my message. That's the essence of the word is the same essence the first time as it was the second. You understand, beloved, there was no smoothing out of things that might have made things a little bit more palatable and acceptable to Jonah when he choked at the first word the first time. It's the same word in heart and essence. Arise, go, to Nineveh, bring my word there. It's the same in essence. Well, herein, in this sameness, lies an, a lesson that God's word has for us as parents. As parents especially, but also as leaders. Now, the word of the Lord had come to Jonah the first time and Jonah had found the word so unacceptable and unpalatable and so contrary to what he himself, Jonah himself, desired. In such a situation now, we ask the second time now, now that this is happening a second time, would it not be better, you see, wiser, better to change the word and the command just a little bit. To make it more acceptable, more palatable, to sugarcoat that command just a little wee bit. And the answer is no. God did not do that and God will not have that. God will not have that just because we can behave like disobedient children. 
children. Certainly there are times when you are told to do something which you really don't, don't want to do, you don't like it at all. And then what do you do? Parents, what happens when that happens? Well, sometimes we, we see that our children are throwing a tantrum, right? Sometimes we see that. And sometimes they do that with a purpose in their mind, a plot, a scheme. Thinking that they could perhaps get their way now if by throwing a tantrum, so that with mom and dad, they can get their way with mom and dad, so that when the mom and dad comes to them a second time, they will soften up a little bit, compromise a little bit, and maybe even forget about asking the child to do that original thing he was told to do. Now, assuming that the first word that we parents give to our children is a good word, assuming that, I say that it's not a wise thing for a parent to do. A wise parent should stick to the very first word, first good word and command that was brought. Son, daughter, you have to do what I told you to do. And God shows us how a wise parent trains his children. He does not change his word or command to them. God doesn't do that with his word. It's the same word that we have. This is the same word left in scripturated for ages. Wife, submit to your husband. Husband, love your wife as you love yourself, as Christ loves the church. That kind of love. Children, obey your, your parents. Same word, same command. In the year AD 65, when the book of Ephesians was written, and also in the year 2023, even though perhaps we might think that we're less inclined to receive God's word today for whatever reason we think, doesn't matter, notwithstanding the word, stays the same. God, the unchanging God, does not change His good command and word, and neither should we change our good word and command? But there is more that is significant in this word of the Lord to Jonah, and that is that there is also something different. That's something the same, we said. It's the heart and essence of the word that's the same, but there's also something different the second time. Not in essence, but in emphasis. The first time, the emphasis was on the the great sin of Nineveh and how that sin offended God. Cry against it, for their sin has come up against me. But now here the second time, we read, preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. 
This slight difference is not in the essence, but on the emphasis. The emphasis is now on Jonah. To be sure now, Jonah, be very sure that you bring the word that I have you to bring. Bring my message. Don't tweak it. Don't adjust it. Don't omit certain portions. Don't add to it. Don't update it. Preach the preaching that I bid you. Very simply, preach my message as is. And the lesson for us as preachers and as churches, which calls and sends preachers and receives the preaching of these preachers, is also significant, is it not? For on any given Sunday, in Sabbath day, how many thousands of men mount a pulpit, get behind a pulpit and start talking But you see how many of them actually do preach the preaching that Jehovah bids them to preach. How many churches, for the sake of keeping the youth of the church, pleasing the crowd, attracting more people into worship, goes through great pains to make sure that the crowd is pleased and will be pleased by the worship, not by telling the preacher, preacher, preach the preaching that He bids you? No. People are afraid that when you do that, you're going to lose the crowds. You'll turn the people away. Rather, preachers are told to have a dialogue session in the service or else to avoid hard subjects in the preaching. In fact, the very things that need to be said to a congregation struggling with a certain weakness or else to, to keep the preaching down to 10 minutes and deliver a life-inspirational message of sorts to the crowd. Do that, won't you? But don't preach the preaching that He bids you. That doesn't work. That's old-fashioned. Would preachers and God's people remember the word of the, of the Lord to Jonah was to preach the preaching that I, Jehovah, bid thee. So that the faithful, unadulterated preaching of the full counsel of God's word is brought to bear upon the congregation. So in that light, how precious it is that the vows of our preachers and office bearers calls on them to be faithful in this regard. And also how precious it is that preachers must, by the order of the church, preach through the entire catechism so that the full counsel of God's word is covered and dealt with systematically from time to time. 
congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you realize the wonderful heritage that is yours with regard to preaching that God has given to you? That preachers of this church, whoever stands behind this pulpit in this tiny denomination of churches, preachers here still do preach the preaching that he bids us. If you do, then you will be thankful. Thankful to receive the word brought in its fullness. Also, when the word is hard for you to deal with with regard to a certain need and weakness in your life, when the word speaks to you, when it hits you hard, when sometimes it makes you feel this, this more. As you leave the sanctuary, know, beloved, that God is pleased to bless, to strengthen, and to cause His beloved church to grow in the way of preaching, not the preaching that man bids us to do, not the preaching that we would like and desire according to our nature, but the preaching that He alone bids us to preach. Now, in connection with God's word coming to Jonah the second time, our text in verses 3 and 4 also speaks of the remarkable trusting obedience that Jonah displayed there too, something most worthy for us to know. Now, to the command of verses 1 and 2 from the word of the Lord, we read in verses 3 and 4, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, here let's appreciate that Jonah was faced with a most difficult and demanding task. Fresh out of the belly of the fish, Jonah was going to immediately now, without delay, head straight to that wicked city, that great, big city, wicked city of great, great many people and of great, great wickedness with violence in their hands. He was going to go there and obey God's commission. But how exactly was he going to get the attention of all the masses of the people of that great big city, a city that takes three days' journey to get across. How was that going to happen? There was no sermon audio. There was no YouTube. There was no newspaper. How exactly was Jonah going to get the attention of the people to publish and preach the gospel throughout that city? Would they even pay attention to him if he succeeded in getting through to everyone? And if they did, what, what were they going to do to him? Mob him? Mock him? Rob him? Or worse, kill him? You see, beloved, none of any of that 
mattered to Jonah. All that Jonah knew now in his heart and mind was a commission he received from the Lord. The God-appointed task to go to Nineveh and bring the word there. That's Jonah. What about us? Beloved, are you faced with a difficult, demanding situation in your life that the Lord has nonetheless called you to go through? You're convinced of your calling, aren't you? What exactly is going to happen to you as you enter into that task? Are you going to worry yourself sick over it? The way, the only way, the only God-honoring way is to trust and obey the law, just as Jonah did. Trust and obey, for there is no other way. And having the same trusting obedience of Jonah, be convinced and be convicted and be determined to fulfill the task that the Lord has appointed you to perform. He will give grace to you to perform that task as he did to Jonah. Do you believe that? Jonah did. Jonah learned the hard way, didn't he? I pray, beloved, that that will not be the case for us. Unto Jonah, God was amazingly gracious, coming to him a second time, working repentance, restoring him, recommissioning him, and teaching his unworthy servant many lessons of grace. Let us not forget let us rather be thankful, so thankful for this wondrous, amazing grace of God. For we too are recipients of that grace, that grace from the God of all grace, that amazing heavenly Father of Jonah and of us, who continues to bestow that grace unto us and impart lessons of grace to us, unworthy and sinful children of His, each and every day of our lives. All praise to the God of all grace. Amen. Father in heaven, bless this word. Lift up our spirits by this word and cause us to take heart to the fact that Thou indeed art truly the gracious God of our salvation. And may we who have been shown grace also exercise some of that graciousness to others around us, here in this church family, and also to those who are outside of the church, to those who don't know Jesus, to speak of them, to speak to them and tell them about the wonderful mercy and salvation that is found in Christ Jesus and His cross. In his name we pray.
Amen.